the introvert creative will describe how they did it and the choices they made. And the extrovert creative will just say, oh, wow, this is award-winning, it's amazing. everyone thanks for tuning into notes of design to help support our mission spread knowledge we have a very special guest on today's episode let's welcome randy who's a recognized brand strategist and a creative director with over 20 years of marketing and innovation experience in client agency and media worlds randy has worked with wpp omnicom agency network cody nast allied domicus and enj gallo Most recently Randy has worked in his agency world owning and operating two firms including the Visual Brand which was founded in 2013. In this episode Randy had shared great insights on creative thinking DNA. We had discussed on what is creative thinking DNA and what are the various styles of creativity. We then spoke on what's Randy's take on whether people are born creative or creativity as a skill can be enhanced. We then spoke on what is a systematic approach to idea generation and what is the concept of introvert and extrovert creatives and how could both of them can collaborate to bring out great results in the end we concluded this show by randy recommending us few tips on enhancing the storytelling skills and also how designers could overcome the fear of self doubt hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi Randy, welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. I'm thrilled to be here. So Randy, how was your day? Uh, so my day is just getting started here in uh, actually Connecticut, outside of New York City uh, on Saturday. So uh, yeah, it's just getting started, but it's a good way to start it. Wonderful, Randy. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. Sure. So uh, I currently actually run a uh, innovation studio, and I call it a right brain, left brain business, and it's kind of way my career went. Uh, in school, I studied. I was a, a business and a graphic design major. dual major and that was a little bit of an odd combination but it kind of led to my pathway and uh yeah throughout my career uh you know I was on the the call the client side you know working for companies I worked on communication side for a little while and they landed the agency side and started decided I just didn't need to do it for somebody else about uh, 15 years ago and started my own uh studio um in New York City uh sold that in 2011 and started another one in Connecticut. I always say I'm kind of pre-covid in lots of ways because I decided really early on I didn't need to go to New York City to work. I could work anywhere because my clients were all over the world. So, uh then you know, had a 5 minute commute since um, for about 6 or 7 years now. So, it's 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 great. But again, my orientation on design has always been again sort of right brain left brain that you know a lot of people talk about the fact you have to have a good strategy to create a good um I really have a strong belief that the uh design has a right and a left brain and I've sort of oriented my my business that way uh from the very beginning thank you randy for these great insights so what was your journey into design and how did you start and what are your tips to the beginners on how to start so um and i will tell you that a very big sort of personal mission for me is uh helping to develop emerging designers in fact i do a lot of things in my life 
to do that, which I'll tell you about. But actually, I sort of started the same way. I mean, I, I knew I had an interest um, in the strategic part of the world, you know, from school, even, you know, before college. Um, but I was creative. I came from a creative family. I grew up in a family that was big into music and other kinds of and graphic design. And so uh, when I went to college, my parents, fortunately, um, didn't have an issue with me doing both of those. So I'd go from the business school where I'm studying economics and then I'd, I'd go over and, you know, pick up a paintbrush. So, uh, which was, I loved it. And, you know, I... Um, I was allowed to explore that at school. So, um, and then coming out of school, um, honestly, I was a fortunate time where I was able to find jobs to do that. What's kind of key is, you know, not every job you do does all of what you want to do initially. So my first jobs out of school, I wasn't really using my graphic design skills. Okay. And I think, okay, that's okay. I was frustrated a little bit, but then I thought, you know what, this is part of my learning journey. Right. And then later I got to do more. Ultimately, when I decided to start my own company, it's when I could do anything I want. Right. So that's where I finally said, all right, hmm. I, I, I got to the point in my career where I was, I was running uh, uh, agencies and uh, that wasn't really terribly fun because I didn't really get to do the, the creative part directly because I, you know, people would do that. And they, you know, even you know, my, my sort of telling thing that the last company that I ran, um, the owners actually said, oh, no, no, you don't have time for that. Yeah. You need to make sure everything's working and the business is flowing and all that. And I said, ah, that's not, I want to do both. <laughs> so ultimately, again, that's when you, when you do things on your own, you ultimately get a chance to be your own, you know, navigator, if you will. And so that was my choice. Not that that doesn't have risk, it does, uh, but it certainly allows you to choose your own destination. And what I've actually done with my teams also even though I have people who are designers and people who are strategists and people, even different things, I encourage them to uh, exercise both parts of the brain. You know, so we, we do a design crit when we're doing a big project. The strategists are involved in that. And frankly, they should be because a lot of times they've informed it, but they get to speak to it. And when I uh, they speak to it, we really work on how to speak to that in a way a designer will take that information. As I always say, speak in adjectives. Don't don't say, I wish it was red, you know, because that doesn't really help a designer other than say you like the color red. And so I find that's really healthy for people to be able to do that. The same thing, designers are very involved in, you know, understanding the strategy. They don't build it, but they certainly have to understand it closely. Um, so back to like how I, I start, I mean, I, um, I'm an adjunct professor uh, at a school called Quinnipiac uh, here in Connecticut. Uh, I have a very, very robust internship program. I always have. Um, and then I, uh, I volunteer with a couple different organizations really focused around, um, you know, helping and growing people who want to be creative. Um, and I believe in that. I think that everybody has to have uh, resources to do that. And so I try to do that. Thank you so much, Randy. So what are your tips to the beginners on how to start their career into design? So I, the big thing is start, just start. Number one. Uh, number two, though, it is important, you know, to get some kind of education if you can. Now, there's certainly people who go into the design uh, world that have had other careers, and that's fine. In fact, I even know people who have done it, but it is important to learn the practice, just like anything else. You don't just decide to become an engineer and go, oh, great, I'm going to be an engineer and just learn how to do it. Uh, there's no question there's a lot of learning on the job. In fact, I also don't... I hire people specifically that I get the um, sense that they're going to continue to learn, not to say, all right, I know how to do that. You know, I learn things all the time. Uh, but getting that is important. The second thing uh, really is uh, get practice. And by getting practice, again, internships are fantastic way things to do that. In fact, again, I have had certainly plenty of interns of kids that are in school, but I've had interns of people of other jobs. 
you know, who are, uh, who've had some, some education, but said, you know what, I don't yet know. I know I can't get a full-time job doing this yet. And they'll intern for me X number of hours a week. And that's really good practice because number one, like any job, it teaches you, do I like this? Is this something I can do? But also you get actual practical knowledge because just doing it on your own is great. But frankly, what you need is the interaction with other designers to get better. Thank you, Randy. So let's begin our episode today with creative thinking DNA. So what exactly is creative thinking DNA according to you? Okay, so this is where I exercise a little bit of my my uh, strategic brain. So one of the things that um, I have observed over the years, and I've sort of built now into a theory or a practice is that people come at um, creative thinking, and by the way, that's creative people or anybody, uh, based on two matrices, and uh, and they interact with each other. And what's important about these, before I describe them, is that uh, they uh, everybody has adaptive behavior, where they do the style that's different than theirs because they need to sometimes. And what's most important is how the fact that you learn to work with people that are different in your style, that you recognize it and you work at, and also recognize that it's a, the classic one plus one equals three if you do that. So. Um, the first part is uh, the way you process and communicate information, a fast processor or a considered processor. So if you think of yourself in a, a setting where other people are creating ideas. Fast processor is the person who just has ideas right away and they're big ideas and they're big picture and they're not very baked yet, but they're big ideas um, and they, they come right out with them. And thank God those people are in, in the room because you know without that, no one would say anything, right? So those people that do that. The downside of that style is they tend to be not good listeners because those ideas are just rolling in their head and they're short term and they're worried about not getting them out. So uh, their adaptive behavior, learned behavior really is to write things down, do a little more listening and become a better active listener. So the opposite style of considered processors, that person you go, hmm, they haven't said a word. Are they engaged? What are they doing? And they're just listening. And that person is typically getting engaged in pieces of ideas, right? They don't typically buy the whole big picture at once, but they like pieces and they're remembering pieces. And what they like to do is to go away and build that idea from the bottom up. And they put the pieces together um, and ultimately they have an idea, but it takes them a little bit of time. Um, and that style is great because they're detail oriented and they do, you know, the pass fail for different things. The downside of that style is that once they've built that idea, it is very set and they don't want to move. And so they're not very flexible and they've done it sort of on their own. Uh, so they need to learn to be flexible. But as you can see, those combinations can be great because you need both styles. So on the flip side, um, it's sort of the way people approach doing a project or any work. And it's either matrix or linear. Uh, the matrix thinker <clears throat> naturally just moves around, just likes to move around, doesn't go in a line. You know, likes to start this part, go to that part, you know, has 12 things open on their desktop at the same time. Um, that The great part of that style is, of course, you're very fresh when you come back to things and you, uh, you're you very facile in terms of moving around. Uh, the downside is on distress, the pieces fly, right? And so <clears throat> adaptively, this, this style really learns to create lists and frameworks so they know where they need to go in that matrix. Um, but the linear thinker, you know, wants to get it down, Right. And they absolutely keep going till they get it down and move on to the next thing. This is the person that says, wait, I'm not ready to talk about something else yet. Let's finish this. Let's finish this, right? Um, under that stress, that person slows down, right? So that's the person that spends the whole day doing the same thing because they can't really don't want to move on until they're done and they don't feel like they're done yet. And, uh, and so they slow down. So adaptively, they learn to give themselves time deadlines. Like, okay, done means I'm done at 10 o'clock. Okay. And then that's done for now. 
and I'll come back. Well, good. That was my dead deadline, or that was my finish. So they can be fresh coming back. Um, so again, you can see detail oriented, wonderful, and that's great. But it's uh, but they have to learn to, to move along. But you need both styles. So again, the way we 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 speak to people like this, matrix person like myself has to go to Linden and say, all right, you know what? I need to change topics. Is that okay? All right, we're going to move over. I know we're not done to get permission. Um, and the linear person has to tell the matrix person, you know what? I know you want to move, but let's finish this part first, right? Let's get through this first before we go there. So they can work really well together if they communicate. Thank you so much, Randy. So what's your opinion on whether people are born creative or creativity is something that can be enhanced on the go? Um, so it's a little bit of both, okay? So number one is... Absolutely, there's a learned part of creative. There's no question there's a learned part of creative. Um, and that's the creative tools you need to use and even you know, training your brain how to think creatively. So there's no question to that. And there are really accomplished, particularly graphic designers who have, have done that. But at the end of the day, there is a talent piece to it, okay? And, for, and, and it comes out in certain ways. I mean, uh, the talent might be like, you know, I have a whole motion team. You know, not everybody knows, can really figure out how to, to build a 3D model. Right. And it's a little bit of science, a little bit of art. Right. But it's being able to have the brain to do that. It's the same thing. Not everybody can draw, you know, and my really great illustrators just even off the computer can draw beautifully. I can't draw, you know, at all. You know, unfortunately, I, I can do lots of other things, but drawing is not one of them. And uh, and so you need both. And but it's, the truth is just recognize you, you don't you can't become a drawer if you or an illustrator if you aren't one. But you figure out all the things that you can do. Um, and the really most important thing is the thing that you enjoy doing. So I'll take a perfect example. There are people who are have had more technical careers and understand that and get it, but want a more visual output. They can become people who can be 3D artists, you know, uh, the work in, you know, Maya, Cinema 4D, all those things, and do a wonderful job. And it's very satisfying for them because they're not just building a page of code, you know, they're building something that real, right? And and that it could then work. Yeah, and, and the same way, you know, there are people who, you know, just love to draw, they do all that kind of stuff, and they they can utilize those school skills. So just really recognizing what you have. Thank you, Randy. So is there a systematic approach to idea generation or thinking a similar concept into a different innovative ways? And if there is so, what are the different ways or techniques that one could implement? So um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer, even though I'm a matrix thinker, to come reference back other things, that things have to have a linear connection. So one in some ways, so it's, and it's and it really gets down to being able to actually add the question, why is that there? Why is the most important in the, uh, word of the strategy uh, vocabulary? Um, and so again, even when we, we do this, we build uh, brand foundations, as we call them, very linearly. You know, they start with what's the, uh, you know, what really, really starts is you know, what are the drivers? What are the emotional and functional drivers? And usually there's two to three of emotional, two to three uh, functional. And then from there, that builds to everything else, right down to what we call the brand vocabulary, which are the words as a brand you use or should use consistently. And they go all the way back to, you know, your, your, um, your drivers, as well as, you know, we bump those up against who are the people we're speaking to. Because it's great to say, oh, we're doing all this thing, but uh, does anybody we care about talking to care about these words? Um, and so we do that as well. So the connection is important. So, you know, um, in the strategy world, it's, it's it's a big thing to say, oh, here's the brand personality. Here's the brand statement. You go, oh, that's light and that's pretty, but you not understanding why it's there and how it connects is um, not as useful. 
Thank you, Randy. So if you could explain us the concept of introvert and extrovert creatives. Sure. So that's, that is another, uh, and actually that's just a, a, a great observation, but also it's something that it's, that's really one of those things that helps you understand yourself. So uh, another observation I've built over time. So the introverted creative loves the doing of design and at the end goes, eh, okay, it's done. They, they, don't, they don't care so much about the finished product. So uh, my wife, who is a, is a creative director, also is like completely like that. She is, uh, and by the way, she starts every project saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. And it's because she is a, back to that considered processor. She, because she really, she knows how to do it. That doesn't mean that she doesn't know what it's going to look like because she is getting started. So, uh, but she loves the process of doing it. At the end, you know, she'll never take a picture of it. She'll go to the link, she goes, eh, it's done. Uh, the extrovert creative really is all about the done, Okay. So they can do it. They don't mind, but their really thing is like, oh, I want to say, ta-da, look how great this is. Look how beautiful. So we all know people like that, right? And um, and frankly, anybody who's selling your work to a client, you want to be that extrovert person to go, look how great this is. Look how wonderful this is. And you hear somebody, you know, you know say describing, and you can just say, describe your work. And and you, you can tell that uh, the introvert creative will describe how they did it and the choices they made. And the extrovert creative will just say, Oh wow! This is award-winning. It's amazing. You know, so um, you know that's the combination of styles. Thank you, Randy. So, in an environment where an introvert creative and an extrovert creative has to collaborate and go forward, yeah, that's exactly right. They, you know, you, you um, I think the other styles are even more pertinent to, to mix. And actually, by everybody's some combination of both of these two. But again, I find it's important, uh, particularly working with uh, my team, to understand their orientation. Okay. So when I speak to them, I speak to them into their orientation. So we've talked to an introvert creative. We talk about the process, okay? We talk a lot about how we're going to get there and, and what the thing, and that's the place they're really going to be connected. The extrovert creative is going to say, this is what it needs to do at the end, you know? It's going to be, it needs to be this, and let, and they will connect there as well. And so it's, again, all about sort of how we communicate. Thank you, Randy. So in terms of creative thinking, storytelling is a very important aspect. So how do you, you know, suggest some ways for us wherein people can enhance their storytelling skills via creative thinking? So it's, you just said an important word too, which is storytelling, which of course is people talk about a lot, but it is really, really essential. And storytelling isn't obviously always done in words. We all know that there are visuals that tell a huge story um, all by themselves. In fact, I have a blog that I do that I actually work harder on the visual, even than the words, because I need it to really say what I'm trying to say without having to write the words. Um, and so it's really understanding that. But I actually find like anything else, the, the best way to learn that is to observe what others do and really look at, you know, I'll look critically at a visual, you know, whether it's something in fine art or any something else and go, you know, try to understand the story it's telling, right? And the same thing in writing is, is to do the same thing. The only other thing I would say from a writing standpoint, I kind of believe in the classic uh, less is more. So you don't need to write me, you know, 12 pages to write a story. You know, a story can be told in fewer words. Uh, and actually the nugget of the story is the most important part or the two or three sentences that you, you will remember afterwards. Thank you, Randy. So one last question before we wrap up, that is a lot of creatives go through feeling low or self-doubt sort of thing about themselves when they compare with other creatives around them. So how could designers could just cope up with that self-doubt thing and see the positive side in others and can creatively enhance their skills? So that is, of course, the classic creative thing. I'm never good enough, right? My, in fact, they'll go back and they're going to, oh, that's just not so great. So the end of the day is that you have to recognize a to have self-pride of certain things. Uh, even the pride could be what you did to get there, right? 
I understand that it's difficult. And by the way, understand it is a journey that your work should improve over time. In fact, I love seeing a designer's portfolio that shows me this is my early work and this is my later work. And, and this is how I progressed. Love that. Love that, love that, love that. Um, and I think that that's important to recognize is that we don't all have everything from the beginning to the end. The other, the really, really critical thing is to have, uh, as I say, have a posse, right? Have other design peers who you can uh, communicate with, that you can collaborate with, whether it's you know, through a job or otherwise, I find the most miserable designers who are doing it all by themselves with no feedback other than people who are not designers. So it's a real critical thing to be able to get that feedback and that collaboration with others. Because by the way, there's the old self-support saying, wow, here's because people say, oh, this is terrible. This is shit. The other person's, but you know, there's this good part about it. And they'll go, oh yeah, I didn't thought about it. I was getting so beat up on myself. I didn't realize that that was a place to go. So I think, you know, collaboration is, is really key and re recognizing that you do have a journey. Thank you so much, Randy, for sharing all these wonderful insights. So how does your typical day look like? Are any interesting stories that you could share with us? Uh, yeah. Well, I will tell you that my day uh, is uh, where it's still relatively long. It's gotten shorter since I'm not commuting three hours a day to New York City, uh, which is nice. But look, at, I'm kind of a big believer uh, that you got to start your day being ready for your day. So uh, I, you know, besides drinking, which you can see here, our coffee has lots of interesting stuff in it. But uh, not mean not like premature, like collagen powder, all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think also just you have to be mentally prepared somehow. Whether, you know, I, I listen to podcasts, you know, first thing in the morning. I exercise early in the morning. I do things to get my brain sort of primed. So the time I'm at work, I'm ready to go. Okay. And in, and even with my, again, my teams, it's sort of a thing that we talk about too. I said, don't just come into work. We've rolled out of bed two minutes before. It's going to take you a while just to be ready to go. The other part I would say is know when you're ready to stop, you know, because that's another key thing when people go, oh, I got to keep going, keep going, keep going. So this is a conscious choice that I make beyond things that you have to do, uh, like get through 12,000 emails. Um, uh, but you have to also recognize that I'm not going to be productive anymore today. And to be able to say, okay, done. Well, now, hopefully that's not 1030 in the morning, <laughs> but uh, uh, but sometimes it is, but uh, but it's recognizing when, you, when you're done. So my day, again, is uh, very busy because my you know, a lot of demands with my team and my clients and things like that. And so they go very, very fast, but uh, it's also recognizing those parts. The only other piece I would tell you is, and people talk about this a lot, in a busy day, it's always important to have breaks, okay? You can't keep pushing, 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 never getting up from your desk. It could be five minutes to walk outside. It could be, you know, to do something else. What I actually do, the way I do with my studio is that I, I do what I call make the sweep, so I go out and just walk and talk to everybody in the studio uh, for, you know, 10 minutes or so. I'm maybe at a desk for a minute or two minutes, depending on what it is. But not only does it give me a touch point with people, it's a break for me. Okay. It's made for me to get up and move my legs and to get around. So I think it serves a dual purpose. Thank you, Randy. So we'll conclude this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this space. Uh, so uh, lots of people inspire me in this space. And again, I think we get inspired uh, for, for different things. Uh, I will tell you the, and frankly, I, I get inspired by, it doesn't by matter by age or accomplishment. Uh, I have a, a, a very young man who's a motion designer for me, who uh, I'm incredibly inspired by, by what he's able to accomplish. But actually, from a book standpoint, uh, there are a number of really great books. But one I would actually, I, I just actually one in particular I want to recommend, it's Daniel Coleman, it's Thinking Fast and Slow. So uh, that book will stick with me 
for a very long time. It's not a long book uh, because it's, again, back to that adaptive behavior, how to think, you know, when you need to really move and also how do you to slow down your, your thinking and, and, and get into the details. And again, and this is where I also reference as well. Uh, Khalil Gibran, The Prophet, is another book. It's a classic, doesn't seem related, but amazing book in terms of the theory of life. And so I, I almost did funny thing. I have, I've referenced that in, in conversations and in meetings. I think that's important. Thank you, Randy, for sharing all these wonderful insights with us. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, having me on. Thank you.